podcasts. I do this three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can also hear my live radio show on 670 AM KMZQ five days a week, Monday through Friday. So five days a week, live on the radio, 670 AM in Las Vegas. Three days a week, I do the podcast, Heidi Harris Show podcast, which you can subscribe to for free. So you can't get away from me. All right. Last week, we had a really interesting conversation on the Heidi Harris Show live show where we spoke with the president of the Police Protective Association. Now, why do we speak to him? Because there was a police officer by the name of Kenneth Lopera who was accused of basically choking out and killing a man in custody that they were trying to subdue. The man's name was Tashi Brown. It was very controversial at the time. There was a little bit of videotape on the situation. The sheriff recommended charges be brought against Officer Lopera, and charges ultimately were brought involuntary manslaughter and oppression under the color of law. This thing took about a year. The grand jury got all the information, not just a few seconds of a video that most of us saw, all the information. And after everything the grand jury saw, they decided not to bring an indictment against Officer Lopera. Steve Grammas is the president of the Police Protective Association. He is part of the group that represents these police officers in situations like this. He was my guest last week. Here's our conversation. Now, were you surprised, and we'll get to some of the details of the case, but were you surprised that these grand jury came back and decided not in the window? Once again, let's be honest. Officer Lopera is not out of the woods legally yet. We know that. Correct. But the grand jury decided not to indict him. Were you surprised at that? As I said yesterday in the press conference, I wasn't surprised. I would have been more surprised if they came back with the true bill. Um, With what we knew of the whole case, it's more than just a snapshot of video from a body cam and some aerial footage. Uh, We knew there was a lot more to the case. We've known that from the beginning, from our perspective. And we always believe that this is how a grand jury would have shaken out. Doesn't it drive you crazy when... The police officers can't really say much about a case that's pending, yet a little bit of information gets out here and there, and one side starts complaining about everything or putting out one side. Remember the Eric Scott shooting at Costco, all the stuff that came out, Metro couldn't say anything. And it's got to frustrate the heck out of you when you can't really say much in defense of this police officer other than there's more information. Sure. And, uh, you know, with LVMPD's rules that they keep things under, under hat until the investigation is complete, I understand it. Uh, they don't want to put any misinformation out or some things that may haven't been cooperated yet, but uh, sometimes that's where people like me come in and uh, I can say some things about uh, different topics that maybe Metro wouldn't be able to do. So it, it does get frustrating that sometimes only sound bites of the wrong information is put out that make our folks look bad mm-hmm. when in reality they're out there doing the toughest job in the world and uh, they're getting scrutinized every day, whether it's from the body cams or whatever. So, uh, it, it does get frustrating at times. Okay, let's talk about how the whole thing got started. You know, from uh, from all the information that I know, the officers were sitting uh, inside the Venetian. Uh, Mr. Brown came up to him, was sweating, definitely appeared disoriented, and uh, made the comment that someone was chasing them. Um, when the officers tried to talk to him, he just took off. Uh, fear for him, fear for not knowing what's going on. They, they go after him. Then he goes into the unsecured or the secured area of the hotel which by all intents and purposes is trespassing inside a private private area. They continue to go out on it. Uh, the officers end up separating because in the lower belly of the casino and hotels, it's tough to maneuver and navigate your way without knowing exactly where you're going. So Officer LaPera is alone and uh, going after Mr. Brown. And uh, when they get outside, he comes in contact with Mr. Brown and the events unfold as they've been laid out. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, 
it it was a it was an unfortunate situation, no doubt about it. A situation that Ken didn't want to go through. I'm sure Mr. Brown's family hoped that never happened, but it happened. And uh, you know, it, it it is everybody's right to have a defense put up for them, and we did that for Ken LaPera. And uh, like I said, we're just very thankful right now for the process of the grand jury. We're thankful that the grand jury participants looked at all the evidence, looked at everything, the totality, not just a couple pieces of video, and came to the conclusion that they did. There was an organization many people were not maybe familiar with. It's called the Force Science Institute that factored into the testimony. Talk a little bit about that because I know the ACLU was complaining and saying that they always side with the cops. Who exactly are the Force Science Institute people? The Force Science Institute is a, is a group. It's run by a Dr. Bill Lewinsky. Uh, he founded the institute. It goes into the science of how things are done and why things are done. Um, when an officer pulls a trigger, how long does it take their mind to tell their finger to stop pulling the trigger? How long does it take to assess a threat and respond to the threat? There's a lot of science that goes into it because we're not machines where you can hit play, pause, and stop. Um, so that's what uh, I'm, I've taken their five-day certification course. Uh, my one officer, Brian Yan, has taken a 400-hour certification course through them. And uh, there's a ton of science around what they do. There was uh, some stigma that, yeah, they, they just clear cops. Um, I won't get into uh, what I was going to say about one of our own department employees, but um, it, it, there was a stigma out there on that. And, uh, you know, Dr. Lewinsky has even said, we've been used in cases to show that an officer was wrong when they tried to say that they did it because of this, and they proved, no, that's not true. You 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 had the time. You could have, st- you could have done X and Y. Um, so, of course, when an adverse decision comes out from someone like Force Science saying it supports the officers, there's going to be a, a group that doesn't like that. Uh, but they have published papers and scientific uh, data that supports what they say and do. And I think by D.A. Wolfson sending the case to them, it lends credence to who they are. Right. And you can look it up. If you're interested, to check them out online, the Forest Science Institute. And it's interesting about what they what they do and who they are and all that kind of stuff, the training they provide and all that. It's very interesting stuff. But I don't think a lot of people were aware of that. If you're a civilian, how would you know who they were or pay attention to who they were? So some of the criticism of the LaPera case included the fact that some of the guys who were with them by the time the other officers arrived, they were telling them, you know, stop tasing him. He tased him for longer than he was supposed to. Those were the allegations. The other guy said, stop doing it. And he, he was trying to follow instructions, pull, trying to pull the taser out of his back. There was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of confusion at that particular point. Did he tase Tashi Brown for longer than you're supposed to? So the, the, the insinuation is that our department policy says if you tase someone three times, you, you go away from it. Um, it's deemed ineffective. Well, we've had cases internally on the department that I've defended to say it doesn't mean it's ineffective. It means it does work. It's just you're not getting the person in it custody. It has, hasn't worked yet. Yeah. Well, or, or, or it just we're always taught to cuff somebody under power. Uh, when you tase someone and they're in that five-second uh, hit of the taser, that's when the, the cuffing is optimal. But if you don't have anyone else around you and you're working the taser and you're pulling the trigger and you're trying to manipulate that with one hand and you have one other hand with it, it's tough. And uh, so – does it mean that it's ineffective? It doesn't necessarily mean that. could mean there's a bad connection. There's a bunch of reasons why that uh, even the folks that train our people would tell you that uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that three is is a end-all, be-all, and you should just stop. Um, but, uh, you know, it's being in that situation, 
you know, Ken was a new, fairly newer officer on the streets. He was a corrections officer prior, um, coming across a situation that he's never been involved in before. Um, he, he did the best he could, and, and you know, he had no no other thought in his heart or mind would just to get him in custody. That was it. Get him in custody, see what was going on with him, whether get him medical attention, find out who was chasing him, whatever it was. But, you know, things didn't play out that way. If they're a larger person, will it take more to taste them potentially? Or if they have drugs in their system, will it take more to taste them? Not typically. Tip- typically, the taser is one of the most effective tools that we have because it locks up your body's electrical circuits. So uh, as we, we talk to new officers, um, I have a background in narcotics and people that are on PCP. Using baton strikes, OC spray, hand-to-hand doesn't affect them because they have no sensory to the pain. However, a taser, I believe, and I don't know the science behind it, but I believe the taser, they can't stop that. That's a natural lockup. So size doesn't matter. They've actually put a taser, I believe, on large animal to show, one, that it's safe, and two, it can put a large animal down. And it's, it's effective for that. So size doesn't matter. Connection matters. Um, clothing matters. They're a very small dart that goes into the uh, the surface of the clothing, then into the body, you hope. Someone has a thick jacket. If somebody has two shirts on, it can impair what that is. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that. And I didn't realize exactly how a taser worked until Marcus Martin, mm-hmm. and you know Marcus, yes. it came out to my old radio station. I actually did a demonstration in the studio of the taser. No, he didn't use us. <laughs> but he was firing it into the stuff on the soundproof wall and that yes. kind of thing. I, I don't think a lot of people understand how it works. And so it's important if they have a lot of clothes on, that would make a difference in the, the contact. And also distance. Um, you're, what you're optimally hoping is that if I if I hit you with the taser, that I'm going to get a spread of somewhere in your upper back, which is the, the optimal area, to your lower back. That wide spread makes that electrical arc have okay. to touch. got it. If I'm closer to you, I close that down. Now it becomes more of a pain compliance than it does a system lockup because it doesn't have a long area to travel. And it would just, you'll just feel the pain, which would be you trying to pull things out or break away. You won't have that lockup. When you see an actual hit, you see the person lock up immediately and go right to the ground. So um, definitely a bunch of different factors with a taser that go into things. Now, it's interesting, too, that they said that ultimately he would not have been charged with anything. So so why did he run? I, clearly he was on. We'll get back to some of the other controversies involving Tashi Brown. But you have to wonder why everybody wants to just take off from the cops. They just make it worse. As you know, Metro had a settlement this last week, $500,000. Same thing. Somebody on drugs, this guy was driving, you take off. It just exacerbates a situation that doesn't have to escalate to that point if you just, you know, listen to them. And they don't want to do that a lot of times. And our our department does a very good job of isolating their internal affairs investigations. We have plenty of officers that do things that internal affairs finds fault in and they catch their discipline. We have plenty of citizens that complain on officers for wrongful detention, unlawful searches, and they're investigated. And there are people that are right, that it happened. Um, What I would hope for anybody in the community across the country would be comply with the officer's commands, even if you don't agree with it. You have an outlet to go down, especially in this day and age, to say, hey, I was stopped. I believe I was wrongfully stopped. I believe I was whatever. I want to make a complaint and let them investigate it. And the investigators there are, even though they're department employees, they're impartial. They have a job to do, and they do their job. And if they find fault, they'll deal with it. And, you know, if me as the association president, if I've got officers out there wrongfully detaining people, not a, not a mistake of, of 
the heart of mistake of the mind. I knew I wasn't supposed to do this. I'm not going to be champion in their fight to say, don't discipline them. They didn't do anything wrong. My folks are accountable. When they mess up, they step up and they say, hey, listen, I messed up. Um, but there are some folks that may cross the line, and th- those people do need to be dealt with. I mean, you, you can't uh, you can't turn an eye that someone does something so wrong that nobody should do anything about it. That's not the case. But citizens have an avenue if they don't like a stop, if they don't like how they were talked to or treated, that rather than fighting with the cop and arguing it out there or not complying and running, you have a better venue to go and make a complaint locally with internal affairs or the citizen review board or anything like that. Absolutely. And I, listen, I've been pulled over. I mentioned the one in Henderson where the guy was just completely out of his mind. I've had an NHP trooper get me out of my car and give me this horizontal gaze and nystagmus test. If you guys don't know what that is, that's when they take the finger and they make you watch it. Because he didn't believe that I hadn't been drinking because I'd been skiing. I didn't argue with him. I was not drunk. I did not argue. I got out there like an idiot on the 95 with my finger to my nose, terrified. You don't argue. So it's not like I've never been in that situation. Yes, I have. You do what they tell you to do, and it stops. That's the whole point. We'll continue with my conversation with Steve Grammas, the president of the Police Protective Association. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. The Heidi Harris podcast is heard by tens of thousands of listeners because she's sassy, funny, and lovable. If you'd like to place your message on the podcast, I'll help you get started. I'm Donna Francavilla, owner of Frankly Speaking Communications. I'll voice your message for you for just $100, recorded, edited, and submitted as a special offering. Let me help you tell your story. Write to me at DonnasNiceVoice.com. That's DonnasNiceVoice.com. Back to my conversation with Steve Grammis, the president of the Police Protective Association. We're talking about the death in custody of Tashi Brown. And, of course, there were allegations that Tashi Brown had some substances in his system, and that could have contributed to his death. Correct, Steve? Yeah, and and that's what our medical experts felt uh, was the deciding factor on what killed Mr. Brown was his enlarged heart and the uh, 950 nanograms of methamphetamine in his system. That's a lot. That's a lot of meth in your system. Now, there was a conversation and there was controversy about the so-called rear naked choke or chokehold. I know that's not what it's called. Talk about what that's actually called, how it's supposed to work, and how maybe it wasn't implemented correctly or maybe it was. So... From the beginning, um, the conversation about what a rear naked choke is and what the lateral vascular neck restraint is. Um, Make no mistake, it is the exact same maneuver with regards to the placement of the elbow, with regards to encircling. The only difference is LVMPD's policy is you clasp your hands behind the head of the suspect, you squeeze them together, and this is an LVN arm. My understanding is that when they put their neck in, in, in the crook of the elbow and the arm, that's to protect the trachea. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And what was interesting to me, and I did not know this until I saw your press conference yesterday, when they did the medical examination, they didn't see the petechial hemorrhage in the eye, which you would see if somebody was strangled, Correct. nor did they see any damage to the trachea. Once again, information that didn't come out earlier, but that was kind of interesting to me. Correct. And no damage to the hyoid bone as well. As, That's uh, the no- bone yeah, in the neck. That, yeah, yeah. You know, if, I if, watch a lot of forensic yeah, files. Right. It makes me an expert, Steve. <laughs> um, so putting putting that, putting that the the Adam's apple or the airway in the crook of the elbow is what keeps, like you said, it keeps them able to breathe. Um, when the pressure's put on both sides of the neck, that's what slows the blood to the brain right. down, which causes them to pass out. Um, the procedure for that, like I said, clasping the hands for LVMPD, a rear naked choke in the mixed martial arts world, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, instead of clasping hands, 
you put one hand, the encircling hand, on your own bicep. You bring the other hand over the back. And actually, and from our own department employees, and I won't name them, said this is a better tactic when you go to actually put the move on. As you're squeezing, you're relying on hand pressure, arm pressure, trying to get the most out of it. If you're trying to put somebody out in an LVNR, which was our, our third step, our, our most serious that you want to put That's them That's if out. the taser is not working, they're not following commands, then you go to the third step. It, well, no. it's So you have, you have, back in the old policy, you had an encirclement and a head placement. Okay. That was level one. Oh, got it. Level okay. two started to crank the elbow up, the back elbow for a degree to put some pressure on, hopefully to get them to agree and stop doing what they're doing. Level three meant you were putting them to sleep putting them in handcuffs and break and waking okay, them up. Got it. So when you look at a rear naked choke, the the back arm actually helps when you encircle because it puts faster pressure on the neck and puts a suspect out faster, less fighting, get them in custody a lot quicker whereas as we saw in Ken LaPera's case that um, maybe if you don't have proper encirclement, if you don't have proper pressure, uh, you're not going to get the desired outcome, which is to put someone to sleep and get him in custody. So you feel as if he d- didn't do it correctly, and that's why he wasn't able to get control of him? or Not only do I feel that. Frank Mir, uh, black belt, multi-black belt. Knows a thing or two about a it. A couple things. He, he's, he's kind of well-versed in this. And immediately when we showed him the video, he said he doesn't even have a ch- uh, rear naked on him correctly at all. Okay. He, he, I don't believe he would have even succeeded in putting him out, much to the support of the video, I believe. When someone puts a proper rear naked choke, or even an LVR, and when I was in the police academy, I let a partner LVNR me all the way to putting me out. Wow. Probably happened in eight seconds. If it was done correctly. Correct. And you don't believe it was done correctly. Now, did Frank Mir testify to the grand jury? Yes, he, he did. did. That's what I thought. Yes, I thought did. you mentioned in the press and, conference. And, That's funny. And, Who would have thought? I mean, only in Vegas do yeah. we get these guys to come out and, and testify about something like this. So a lot of people don't. Well, everybody knows who Frank Mir is, right? Even I know when I'm a girl. I, I would hope so. Okay. I would hope so. He's a okay. uh, martial arts guy and expert on all this stuff. UFC, so. UFC yeah, heavyweight US, champion. God, yeah. Fighting knows, over in Bellator. Knows all this stuff. Yeah. Let's put yeah. it that way. Uh, but even he talked about the uh, the air choke the the choke that would go across the throat he has had that put on him and at some point that's more of a pain compliance when it's on you and he's had it on him for quite a while at one sitting more than 45 seconds or so where someone's just really cranking on that and all that really does to him and other mixed martial artists is causes their throat to hurt for a day or two like a sore throat those were his words, not mine. Interesting. Um, okay, so that's part of what he testified to. I, I don't know, um, but I'm, I mean, you knew that he was probably. Going I to knew talk that about was something he was, he was probably going to bring up that he had air chokes put on him, and he's still alive today. And one of his things too, with regards to a rear naked choke. And listen, I don't, I don't fault the general public for hearing that term choke and being shocked by. Yeah, it. they thought he was choked out, and and didn't he say? Didn't Officer Lopera say on tape, "I choked him out." A rear naked choke. Yeah. yeah. And, and seeing that, people went, people went crazy when they heard that. And when people equate a choke, they think of food stuck in your throat. Right. I cannot breathe. I'm suffocating. It's horrible. It's pain. No doubt about it. Don't disagree with the misconception on what it is. That's where maybe our police department failed the public by not letting them know, listen, understand we've done some research on this term. While it, the hand placement is not what we teach the term of choke is not cutting the air off. This is what it is. There are two types. And uh, I, I don't think, I think I was the first one to put that out there 
uh, with regards to this case because I thought it was important. I thought it let people know that you know Mr. Brown wasn't sitting there gasping for air, hoping he could breathe, having his petechia blown out of his eyes. Now, that's what pe- people need to understand. The petechia, if you don't watch the forensic files, you're not a true crime freak like I am. You may not know. That's what what happens in your eyes. If you're strangled, you have hemorrhaging in your eyes, and people don't realize that if you're in any kind of strangulation. Correct. It's part of it, if that's what kills Correct. you. Correct. Yeah. Any 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 violent pressure to the, to the eyes where even Frank Mir testified, being in, or not testified, told me, being in a jiu-jitsu competition, having someone putting on a blood choke still can cause some petechia because of the pressure it's putting on your head, depending on the position of your body. If blood is rushing to your head, there's a lot of different... uh, He's also said that people who may throw up extremely hard and Mm. violently could cause that too. So um, when when that wasn't present from the onset, we knew there was a problem with saying he was choked. Interesting. And you knew that right away, but you had to kind of... You couldn't really talk too much about it initially. Yeah. As, as you know, we talked about, you don't always want to sit there and air everything you know. Right. Um, you, we knew that we had an officer that was being accused. Um, I I was down at the jail with Ken LaPera waiting to get him out. I was there through that process and uh, I knew what we were up against. So we knew how we had to prepare and what we needed to do. And I've made this commitment to my officers time and time again. I did it the other day to a new police academy. Steve Gramas, the president of the PPA, that's the Police Protective Association, is not going to leave his officers out high and dry if he feels as if they have been wrongly accused. We'll stay on top of the situation because Officer Lopera, who's now retired from Metro, is not out of the legal woods yet. But I did want you to hear the other perspective because, unfortunately, when it comes to these kind of situations, the police department really can't say a lot of what they may know. And the ACLU and the anti-cop folks are out there screaming and yelling and making all kinds of accusations. How would you feel if it were you or your family member and you couldn't give your side of anything? And yet you are just being crucified in the press. So that's why I wanted to present the other side. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't forget you can join me three times a week for this podcast, Heidi Harris Show. You can join me five days a week for my live radio show at 670 AM KMZQ in Las Vegas. Check out HeidiHarris.com for the podcasts and blog posts and things I put up there. And also, you can pick up a copy of my brand new book. It's called Don't Pat Me on the Head. That's available at Amazon. The link is on my website, HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell.